Don't you love that last line in that song where it says, you know, he's the one who brings spring out of winter? When you're walking out of church today, look over here to your left. My, you're right, my left. There's a church, a tree over there called a purple-robed locust, and it looks like it has clusters of grapes hanging off of it. It's so pretty. And I think it's so neat this time of year just to think about, man, the Lord is at work, and the Lord's doing things, and good things are happening, and God is able to bring spring out of winter. And you may be here today, like, you know, Lord, I really need some spring. I need some new life. And I really hope that today is going to bless you and maybe build you up a little bit. We've been talking about the book of Romans for a while. We're in Romans chapter four today. I don't know if you knew this or not, but America had a great week last week. And it all started right here in the state of Texas. The largest rocket ever made, all right, the SpaceX Starship. It launched from Padre Island, and it's the largest, most powerful rocket ever made by a long shot. I think it has a payload of 250 tons. You know, we're kind of accustomed to, you know, seeing three or four astronauts go to space. This thing's going to be able to carry like 15 or 20 people at a time. It's going to be amazing when this when this gets, gets off the ground. Uh, get that, how I said that, gets off the ground. All right, but uh, plans are in, t- in place for a Starship to take teams to the moon, to build a moon base, and then use this rocket then to go to Mars. And so it's really happening. So they had a successful launch. They traveled 24 miles into space in over uh, two and a half minutes. And then Starship experienced something that SpaceX called a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. Don't you love that name? In other words, it exploded is what happened. A rapid, unscheduled disassembly. I have decided, this is my new phrase for 2023, rapid, unscheduled disassembly. I drop a plate in the kitchen. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. Rapid, unscheduled disassembly. I apologize for that, you know? Or like the lawnmower won't start. Just get a sledgehammer out. Just beat it to pieces. A rapid, unscheduled disassembly. That's what I'm thinking about. And I saw that Thursday night, and I was kind of laughing about it. But then I, I, the week that I've had, I've had some people in my life experiencing a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. You know, I was a part of one funeral and attended another this week. And uh, you just think about those families going through a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. You know, I think about somebody losing their job, you know, and their career is going through a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. I think about someone I, I know who's going through a divorce. You know, and their marriage is having a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. And where do you turn in life when you are experiencing that unscheduled disassembly? How do you respond? You know, the whole world was watching this launch on Thursday. And the people at SpaceX celebrated because they said, hey, we got it off the launch pad. And the whole plan was just to learn from this launch and improve the rocket. And in 2024, they're going to launch again this time with passengers. And yeah, I know. Think about that. About a year from now, probably about a dozen people are going to climb into that rocket and they have seen the rapid unscheduled disassembly of April of 2023, but they're going to do it anyway. And they will exercise what? Tremendous faith. Tremendous faith in a company called SpaceX and in a man named Elon Musk. So I'm going to talk to you today about faith living. Faith living. You know, you look in the dictionary, and, you know, faith is one of those words that is easily said, but not always understood. The dictionary gives us like seven different definitions for the word faith. 
Now, I want you to think about this. The Bible tells us, first of all, that we are saved by faith. Then the Bible says, after that, you must have faith. You have to live by faith, walk in faith. We're to pray in faith, be sound in faith, be strong in faith, be rich in faith, abound in faith, persevere in faith, be an example of faith, access grace by faith, and ultimately die in faith. Those are all from different Bible verses that are there. We're saved by faith. We live by faith. We walk by faith. Something incredible happens. There's a sense of being loved by God that comes into your life from loving God. And then a sense of significance comes into your life from serving God. And a sense of worth comes into your life from worshiping God. First Peter chapter 1, Peter said this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Why? How do you see him? With the eyes of faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews. And though you do not see him now, I like that, now, <laughs> yet by believing in him, you are filled with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I've heard it said before, some people might say, faith is believing something even when you know it isn't true. That's, that's absolutely false, all right? Uh, when you come to church, you go to small group, you know, faith is not like, you know, just turning off your brain or checking your brain at the door or something like that. The Bible is the proven, reliable record, the historical record of God's work and activity in the world through human history. And so I want to give you a definition for faith today. I don't know if you ever thought about it. What is it exactly? It's trust in the God, the God, who reveals himself in the Bible. That is demonstrated three ways. Number one, by putting your confidence in his plan of salvation. Number two, his promises. And then number three, his principles for living your life. His confidence. So, you know, you have to give one word synonym for faith. It'd be confidence or trust. More and more around us, people are struggling with questions like, you know, why am I even here? What's it all for? All right. Rates of depression and despondency and discouragement are just skyrocketing all around us. And in large part, I do believe it's because fewer and fewer people are genuinely walking in faith, confidence in God. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I can guarantee this truth. This is what will be done for someone who doesn't doubt, but believes what he says will happen. He can say to this mountain, be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it will be done for him. Now, I don't think that Jesus is saying here that moving large amounts of dirt is God's will for the world. I don't think he really cares that much about that. But what he's trying to convey to you and me is that nothing is outside the realm of possibility if you live your life by faith. Enormous things, important things, eternal things will happen in your life and through your life. Things you never even thought possible can happen in your life and through your life if you live by faith. Mark chapter 9 says that Jesus said, if you can do uh, this man asked Jesus, whose son was very, very ill, if you can do anything, help us, show us compassion. And Jesus said, if you can do anything, all things are possible. He told this desperate dad, if for the one who has faith, your life can take on an entirely new brilliance and radiance and influence provided that you live by faith. It's the action that we take that brings energy, color, and significance and worth to life. Faith is that thing that brings spring out of winter in your life. 
And if your life feels like winter right now, cracked and dry and broken and dull and gray, faith brings spring out of winter. Romans chapter four, the apostle Paul is going to challenge you and I to really think deeply about our faith. And he's been speaking about this whole issue of salvation in the first three chapters of the book of, book of Romans. He talks about the Gentiles, you know, being so far from God, being saved by faith. Then he brings up the Jews. The Jews are also saved by faith. And he goes on to prove it here in Romans chapter four. What shall we say then, we Jewish people, that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter, what is this matter? The matter of salvation. If in fact, Abraham was justified, that word justified means to be made innocent, to have your sins erased by the blood of Christ. If Abraham was made innocent by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. This happened to all of us. Most of us here this week, you went to work and your, pay, your employer paid you money. He was obligated to pay you because of what you had done. And Paul says, that is not how our salvation works. It is a gift. It is a gift of grace. And it is given purely in response to what? Our faith. Look at verse five. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, puts his faith in God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness or innocence. David says the same thing when he speaks about the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, and blessed is the man whose sin in the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised, those who've made sacrifices for it, or for the uncircumcised. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Okay. Look at verse one and two. Paul is talking about salvation and justification. And as he said, I said a moment ago, justification, transforming someone who's guilty of sin into a state of innocence before God. And Paul asks a hypothetical question. Could Abraham perhaps ever been made innocent before God because of the work that he did, the radical obedience. We might remember that Abraham left his father, his home, his country. He even was willing to sacrifice his son at one point. Are those, is that radical obedience what made him innocent before God? And he says in verse three, no, Abraham believed God and that was credited to him. That was credited to his account as righteousness. There was no law kept. There was no service rendered, no ritual performed that saved Abraham. He was declared innocent of all charges before a holy God because of his trust in God, his confidence in God, his faith. Look at verse four and five, when he talks about a man's work and his wages, and he says, God justifies the wicked. His faith is credited as righteousness. And then he says in verse nine, we have been saying Abraham's faith was credited as righteousness. 4,000 years ago, Abraham was saved the same way that you and I are saved here today by faith. And that means for you and me that faith is the most foundational aspect 
of our spiritual lives. This is true spirituality, ladies and gentlemen. I was watching an interview last night with Woody Harrelson and said, hey, what religion are you? He grew up Presbyterian. And he said, I'm kind of a, uh, you know, Hindu, Buddhist, uh, you know, uh, you know, Zoroastrianarian. You know, he said, I'm all kinds of things, you know. And I just want you to know, this is true spirituality, to walk by faith in God. And so we must understand the faith of Abraham to understand salvation and spiritual growth. So I want to ask you to do me a favor. Turn to the first book in your Bible to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Long, long ago in a land far, far away, okay? Actually, it was about 4,000 years ago in present-day Iraq, okay, is what it was. A man named Abraham, his name was actually Abram at the time, but for simplicity, let's just call him Abraham, if y'all don't mind. Abraham was living in the city of Ur. Ur was one of the world's great ancient cities. Don't you wish that when you were a kid, you know, going to elementary school, you would have been raised in Ur? You know, how do you spell Ur? U-R. Okay, thank you. That's great. Ur was home to 60,000 people. Archaeologists now today are just discovering it. And the riches that were there is an incredible city. 60,000 people lived in this city. Ships came from as far away as India. And the royal tombs contained incredible treasures and gold and silver and bronze and precious stones. There were musical instruments that they found, golden weapons, mosaics and statues and reliefs that are sheathed in copper. And so it's an amazing, amazing economy that was there. Very wealthy people in the center of the city was contained within walls. About 120 acres of the city center were contained in walls that are 88 feet thick, made from mud-fired brick. It's incredible. There was a great library. There was a university. But rising above it all was this massive pyramid, a ziggurat. And it was the ziggurat or the temple of Sin, S-I-N. Sin was a moon god. And it's almost certain that Abraham's family They were worshipers of the moon, the emptiness of idolatry. Genesis chapter 12, look at verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. Now, some of you might have a more literal translation. It might say, leave your father's house. That's actually a better translation. If it says in verse two, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples of the world will be blessed through you. And I love verse four. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. I love that so much. Now, we don't know how God appeared to Abraham. Was it in person as he did before or later on in the book? Was it in a vision as he also did later on in the book? Whatever form it was, we know throughout human history, God has been seeking men and women. We may think that we're seeking after God, but the actual, the the very fact that we are seeking after God is evidence that God is seeking after us because he's the one who engineers our lives in such a way that we have a desire for God. We go searching for God. In Acts chapter 17, Paul said this in his sermon in Athens, from one man, he made every nation of mankind to live on the entire earth. He determined the times and the boundaries where they would live. And he did this so they would seek God, reach out for him, and perhaps find him. So I want to ask you to picture this today. Picture Abraham in his home. And he's about 75 years old at this time in his life. And he's kneeling before some kind of an idol. I don't know what it might have looked like, but just 
In your imagination, imagine a golden statue or a bronze statue, but he's worshiping the God of the moon. 75 years old, got no children. You read back in chapter 11, he's lost his brother. He's lost his father. He's now raising his nephew. There must have been a tremendous longing in his heart that just welled up in his heart. And he just knew the God of the moon that he had been worshiping for 70 years could not satisfy. And he's looking up to the heavens and he's saying, is there somebody out there? Is there something out there? Because this isn't it. I have tried this for 70 years and my heart is broken. My soul is empty and dry. I need spring out of winter. And then boom, God breaks into his life. We don't know how it happened or what it looked like, but I'm sure it was awesome. And this is when life truly begins. When God said to Abraham, will you trust me? Because if you'll trust me, I'm going to send you on a journey. I'm going to ask you to do some things. I'm going to ask you to put confidence in me and to trust me. Life is no different for you and me. God reaches out to you and me and he speaks and he says, will you trust me? Psalm 143, verse eight, David says, show me your faithful love this morning. I trust in you. Show me what I should do. I put my life in your hands. So God gives Abraham an opportunity to, accept, uh, to uh, exercise this incredible capacity of man. Faith. Faith is an act of the will. And of all of earth's creatures, man alone has the capacity to exercise faith, just like this idiot you see on the screen right here. All right? I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? We can choose to trust God. And when we choose to trust the God that we cannot see, we enter into a whole new realm of reality, the realm of the spirit, the spiritual. But if we choose to trust ourselves, we remain in the material realm, the realm of the flesh. Have you ever thought about this? Why did God choose faith as a means of salvation? Why didn't God choose to erase the sins of people who show love? You know, it's by grace are you saved through love, you know, or humility. It's by grace that you're saved through your humility or contentment, something like that. It's because faith is the one attitude of the heart that is the exact opposite of depending on self. When we come to Christ in faith, we're essentially saying to him, I can't, I give up. I, I can't do it any longer. I've tried and I've failed. Everything I've tried to make work is making it worse. I can't make it in this life or in the next without you. I can't depend on myself any longer. I have worked and worked and worked. I've got nothing for it. Lord, I need you. So faith is the attitude that perfectly fits salvation and spiritual growth. We stop trusting in ourselves and we cast our dependence entirely upon God. Romans 4 says this a little bit later on. Inheriting the promise depends entirely on faith, confident trust in the unseen God in order that salvation may be given to us as an act of grace. So you see that Abraham was commanded to leave three things. He was commanded to leave his country, leave his people, and leave his father's house. And I want to ask you to think about that today. As I was studying this and preparing, I was like, this whole idea of staying and leaving, have you ever thought about that? You say, have you ever thought about leaving? You know, You're like, yes, less, I'm bored. I've been thinking about it for 10 minutes now. I know, yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot. All of our lives have been greatly affected by the things that we have left or the things that we've stayed in. 
You know, we wanted to leave, but we haven't. We, we knew we should stay, but we didn't. But the things that we choose to leave are going to have a huge impact on our life. And it just occurred to me that leaving is a critical part of living. I almost called the message faith leaving, but I didn't think it sounded really good, okay? But think about this. People who live blessed lives, they leave when they should leave and they stay when they should stay. People who live miserable lives, they leave when they should stay and they stay when and where they should leave. A few years ago, just right out here on the, on the front porch, probably like seven or eight years ago, I was out there greeting and shaking hands. And this young lady, I say young lady, she's about my age, but you know, came by and she had been in my youth group back in Craig, Colorado. When I was in high school, she didn't really recognize me. I'd gotten through preaching the sermon. She didn't know who I was, but I recognized her. And I said, you know, her name is Sheila. And I said, how on earth did you get from Craig, Colorado to Borger, Texas? And she said, oh, it's crazy. My first, my first husband got a job here out in the oil field. But then she went on to kind of tell me, I said, well, what's, what's happened? What's going on with you? This is amazing. Hadn't seen her in 30 years, you know? And she said, well, I divorced him. I got married again. Then I got divorced and married again. And out of nowhere, she said, I never should have left my first husband. He was such a good man. And she kind of hung her head like that. He was such a good man. And she got really quiet. And then she just abruptly left. I could tell it was really emotional for her. And I've never seen or heard from her since. I don't know how to get in touch with her or anything. Most of the time, you know, leaving things is hard. Even if those things are not God's will or his best, but a big part of your life and mine is when are you willing to leave or stay for the glory of God? Leaving and staying. So, so important. But notice what God was telling Abraham to do. He said, I want you to leave. We think about leaving our plans, our desires, our goals, our safety, our comfort, opportunities, relationships, ambitions, by faith, believing that God will give you better. My youngest daughter is going to graduate from Texas Tech here in about, in about, two, about, about, about a month. And I got to say, it's just unreal that my youngest daughter is going to graduate from college, you know? And I've shared this before, but, you know, leaving my previous church to come here to FCC, man, we had great salary, great benefits, loved the people. They loved us, had a very secure future. And then I come to that first elders meeting, you know, and I've shared this before, but the church was really struggling financially. And they said, we have enough money to pay you this salary for six months. And if this thing doesn't turn around, we're going to have to close the doors. We're all out of, we're all out of work, you know? And I got to say, you know, I have got, I got four little kids. And the last thing I want to do is a rapid, unscheduled disassembly of my finances. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, what about college? What about college for my kids? And I have to say, it's been an incredible ride. It's been so, so good. And I'm just watching, you know, the, the worship team up here a few minutes ago and just giving God the glory, you know, because he's done so many good things. He's been so faithful. But watching God provide for my kids college, all of my kids because of their work and scholarships and other things and just the blessings that God has brought, they've all graduated from college debt-free. And I get none of the credit. God gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. Following God's will for your life by faith is believing that. He says, if he says to leave something, 
It's because he has something better he wants to give you. Like Matthew chapter four, it says, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew, fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets. Hmm. Man, what would that be like? Man, just drop your tools, uh, your computer, your nets, whatever it might be, you know, whatever it is that you work with every day and just go and follow Jesus. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John with Zebedee, their father. They were mending their nets and he called them and immediately left their boat and their father. And they followed him. You see, God's call on us has been consistent throughout human history. Leaving is the command that comes to every person who hears the gospel. We're talking about leaving. We're not talking about calling U-Haul and making a geographical change, okay? That's not the leaving that the Bible is really referring to. But I want you to think about what God said to Abraham. He said, number one, I want you to leave your country. Leave your country. Your country is not your physical residence. What he's doing, he's saying, Abraham, I want you to leave the world that you know, the world you're accustomed to, the world you've grown up in, the, the, the attitudes, the, the ambitions, the, the goals, the plans, all those things that the world has just saturated you with all these years as you've been in the matrix, right? You know, all those things, that's not really reality. I want you to leave all of that behind. And you and I are called to do the same, to leave the world we know and the ways this world lives their lives. John chapter 17, Jesus was praying and he said about his disciples, you and me, they don't belong to this world just as I don't belong to this world. I'm not asking you to take them out of this world physically, but that you would keep them safe from the evil one. What's the evil one? All these terrible ideas about what life really means. Take them out of this world. They don't belong to this world just as I don't. This world that we are born into, just like Abraham's, it worships false idols. Idols are things that are going to bring you money, fame, pleasure, power, all those kinds of things the world worships. And the world is filled with its own set of loyalties. Swear loyalty to a certain way of thinking. And if you don't, you get canceled. This is why Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, see to it that no one carries you off as a captive by his so-called philosophy or intellectualism and plain nonsense, following men's ideas that are just crude notions disregarding the teachings of Christ. And I want to ask you today, if, if you do what you do because everybody else is doing it, because everybody else has always done it that way, then you're not leaving your country. In the gospel, there comes a command, command to exercise great faith. Leave your country. Leave the world you know, the philosophies, the values, the goals, and journey to a better country. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed to the, by the renewing of your mind, then you can know God's perfect and pleasing will. He also said, leave your people. In the spiritual sense, the people near us are the forces that shape us. They shape our character. The coworkers that you have coffee with every day, they're in the lounge at work. Uh, the people you hang out with in the lunchroom or when you get lunch break and you go to Brahms or Sonic or wherever you go, you know, that's your people. Uh, the family that you spend a lot of time with, that's your people. And the people near you and me have a powerful, powerful and profound effect on the man or the woman that you will become. 
That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, don't be fooled. Bad companions ruin good character. How many times have we seen that? Throughout our Bible, people are told to leave people they love for the glory of God. Because what else can you think about that has a greater effect upon who you are, how you think, how you act, how you feel than the people, your people? How many people have left, think about this over the years, Judaism or Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, the Watchtower Society or Mormonism, and the cost for them, their entire community of family and friends, all right? You know, contrary to Joel Osteen, it was not their best life now, okay? How many of us have had to put distance between ourselves and a certain group of friends or a certain part of the family or some coworkers because of their constant barrage of skepticism and questions and criticism. And it just drains the life from you spiritually. By faith, Abraham had to leave the people who were influencing him far from God. Luke chapter nine. Look at this, verse 59, it's up on the screen. Jesus said to a man, come follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. And Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. There's no denying. Those are two of the most staggering statements to ever come off the lips of Jesus. They really are. And if you're like me, you're looking at that and say, wait, you know, hey, here in church, we talk about the importance of family. We just dedicated children. I mean, family is everything, right? It truly, truly. And, and, and think about this. Is Jesus contradicting the Ten Commandments by telling this man, don't go bury your father, and you're going to dishonor your father to follow Jesus? You know, how does that, how does that jive? Well, see, the burial customs in the days of Jesus were that you would wrap a person's body in linen, and you would place their body in a tomb. And after the burial, the family would wait one year. All the flesh would be rotted away. Then you would go in, you would gather that person's bones inside the tomb, roll the stone away, gather their bones. And you would, you would and during that year, you would fashion a stone box called an ossuary. And you would take that person's bones, you put them in the box, then you put the box of bones in the tomb. So what does this man say? Hey, Jesus, I do want to come follow you, but give me a year. Give me, give me a year, and then, then I'll talk to you about it some more. This reinterment of a person's bones, that was a cultural custom. It was a community standard. There's no precedence for it anywhere in the word of God. And so what Jesus is saying to this man is like, hey, the kingdom, it supersedes your culture, your community, your companions, everything. And so, yes, by faith, When we believe the gospel, we have to be willing to step away from our community, the people who might drag us down spiritually, believing that God is going to bring a better community around us in the future. And the last one is this. He says to Abraham, he said, leave your father's house. Leave your father's house. Now, if you're like me, you read that and you say, how is that different from leaving your people? If you're going to leave your people, you're going to leave your father. Doesn't seem to make sense. Look at that word house, okay? In the Hebrew, it's the word bayith. And it means a house, a dwelling, a habitation. also means a temple. But as a figure of speech, it also means a human body and also means 
a line of descendants, okay? Like I am from the house of Sharp, all right? Uh, you know, I've never used that term before, but that is where what I'm from, the house of Sharp. And so our father's house in the spiritual sense is Adam, Adam. He is the father of us all. Every one of us here is from the house of Adam. Everyone born after Adam has been born in the likeness of Adam. In what respect, you say? A slave to sin. In bondage to the flesh. The old corrupt nature. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Sin came into the world through one man. Death as a result of sin. And death spread to all men. No one being able to escape its power because all men sin. You see, you and I have what theologians call our Adamic nature, Adamic nature, or we have an old nature or our flesh. Sometimes innocently, we call it our human nature. Well, you know, it's just, it's just human nature to get angry in that situation, or it's just human nature to lie when you're put in that circumstance. It's just human nature. There's nothing innocent about our human nature from the house of our father, Adam. Romans chapter eight says, to be controlled by the human nature results in death. To be controlled by the Spirit results in life and peace. People become enemies of God when they are controlled by their human nature, and those who are controlled by who obey their human nature cannot please God. What is he saying? Adam, I mean Abraham, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave the family of Adam. I want to take you on a journey of death and discovery, death to your old nature death to your flesh, and discovery of a life you've never known before, life with God, life in the Spirit. And in the process, Abraham is going to deepen his relationship with God in ways that he could have never guessed if he's willing to leave. And he did. And that's why we read in Isaiah chapter 41, it says this, God speaking to his prophet, he said, you are my servant Israel. Israel was the huge family of of Abraham. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendant of Abraham, my dear friend. Wow, isn't that powerful? In fact, there are three times in your Bible, Abraham is called the friend of God, including the book of James. That phrase there, by the way, Abraham, my dear friend, more literally could be translated, Abraham, who loved me. There's always an element of love in faith, always. Abraham showed his love for God through his faith. His faith was shown by his obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Or you could put it this way. If you really have faith in me, you'll obey my commands. We all live in our father's house, our Adamic nature, our old nature, our flesh. And we are called, just like Abraham, to leave our father's house. We forsake the normal resources that everyone else relies on to get through life. We don't put put our dependence any longer on our talent, our wits, our strength, our looks, our energy. No. Abraham trusted God for everything for the rest of his life. And he was remarkably changed by the journey. So as I journey with God day by day, I learn more and more to depend on him and not myself. And this is what it means to do what Abraham did, to walk in the Spirit. 
So when the Bible says, walk in the Spirit, live by the Spirit, what are they saying? Leave your father's house. Leave your father's house. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ have crucified their old nature with all that it loved and lusted for. And from this point on, he says, let us be guided by the Spirit. So I want you to think about this as we close today. In our lifetimes, we are all going to experience a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. We really are. And we're going to go to the doctor's office and get an RUD. We're going to go to a lawyer and get an RUD. Called into the boss's office, you get an RUD. All right? It could be all those things. When that time comes, who will you trust? Who will you trust? So what Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 4 is that we have to come to a place in our lives. We no longer trust in ourselves and work and work and work, trying to make life better, trying to win God's approval. And we just trust in God, put our confidence in God. And when that time comes, will you still be living in the land of Ur, leaning on and learning from everyone around you, doing what everybody else is doing and everybody else has always done because everybody's always done it that way and everybody's doing it that way? Or will you be a lever? A lever. Will you be one of those who have left the old ways of thinking, the old ways of doing, the old ways of thinking? Will you be one of those people who has journeyed with God to another place? the promised land, living and walking by faith. Let's bow our heads together this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I am certain there's someone here today who is experiencing a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. And you are watching some things in your world. It just feels like it's crumbling around you. And... You're looking around for resources, for strength, for wisdom, for insight. And you've looked to everyone and everywhere else. You've, you've Googled things. You've read books. You've, you've watched Oprah. You've watched Dr. Phil. You've done all these things trying to find some kind of help. And the call of God is to leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your house. And follow me. Those men dropped their nets and they left. They left their nets there in the sand. And for James and John, they left their father in that boat behind and they followed after Jesus, leaving their country, leaving their house, leaving their people. So God's always called us to do by faith, by faith be willing to leave what we should leave and be willing to stay where we should stay by faith, trusting him, trusting him, trusting his word. And so here this morning, if you have a rapid unscheduled disassembly happening in your life, I just want to ask you to go before the Lord and say, Lord, we just give me faith, faith today, Lord, to trust you, put my confidence in you more fully than I ever have before. Because Lord, I want to do your will. I want to do your will. I want to follow you. So I just going to ask you to go before the Lord and speak to him that way this morning. And I'll pray for us and we'll conclude our service today. Hmm.
Lord, I just want to pray the prayer of that father today. Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, there are so many times my heart is so fragile and so frail and very, very feeble. And Lord, there's so many times that I just want to honor you and just put all my confidence and trust in you. And Lord, my heart fails. Lord, I believe there are people in this room here today who have the same heart that I do, Lord, that just sometimes it just seems beyond us, Lord, to truly trust you fully to the fullest. And so, Lord, I just ask it for us all here today, Lord, that you would just move and work in our hearts in a profound way. And Lord, if there's somebody here today whose life does seem to be exploding or crumbling, Lord, that you would be like to them as you've been to Abraham, Father, that you would appear to them. Lord, that you would appear to them. Make yourself known. Let them hear your voice today. Lord, give them confidence to follow you, Father, because you have appeared to them. I just pray for that person here today and ask that for them today in Jesus' name.